Please join me in prayer. O wondrous star, clear and bright, we ask that you would illumine our path. Show us the way. Let us see the things that we might otherwise ignore. And help us that the words of our mouths and the meditations of all our hearts would be truly acceptable in your sight. O illuminating God, rock and refuge of our salvation, this we pray. Amen. Amen. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another road. The story of the Magi is one of those interesting and inspiring and inviting stories of the whole Christmas experience. It's a little sparse on details, yet it's full of political intrigue and interrelationships, and it's captured the imaginations of countless artists across time. T.S. Eliot has written a wonderful poem about it. You can see great paintings in any of your city's art galleries that depict this moment when the Magi, those mysterious wise people from the East, came to visit. There's a certain exoticism and strangeness about the whole thing that smells of cardamom and myrrh and frankincense and all sorts of wild turbans and patterns and silks from the East. Just this past Advent, we began our season by depicting one artistic rendering of it, of a mall and the night visitors. The story when these wise people show up at an unsuspecting single mom and her handicapped child. Those of you who saw that know what a heartwarming story it is as the Magi are finding their way. It's the sort of thing that leads us to put bathrobes on our children for the pageant and cover boxes in foil and shiny fabrics and lean a little bit into kitsch for the Christmas pageant. Now, even though Matthew doesn't specify a number, we have seized on the number three for these magi, presumably because we hear mention of three gifts. And even though it doesn't say anything about them being kings or royalty, we have seized on that as well as a way of showing they were kings from another place, showing where their loyalty lie, not with the wicked King Herod, but with this new kind of king of the Jews lying in a feeding trough outside of an inn. Theologically, it is Matthew's way of saying the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of this Savior, is not just for Jewish peasants and angels and virgin and a mother, but it's for all Gentiles even presumably Zoroastrians from Persia, who might come following a star because they saw it in their telescopes one night. Two years ago, I took on our tradition that we had in our Advent midweek worship of telling a sort of midrash, a retelling of the story of what their journey might have been like. I imagine that they didn't actually travel as just three people, but in a whole band of travelers, and all the things they encountered along the way, including their encounter with the shifty and paranoid King Herod. And last year, we looked more at what happens in the next eight verses, where Herod realizes that the Magi have tricked him, that they have not come back and reported to him, but they have gone back by their own route because they were warned in a dream. And so he 
gives an edict to slaughter all of the children two years and under. Last year, you may remember, we had an image on the front of the cover that showed that refugees and immigrants are always welcome, and we thought of the Holy Family as those refugees who then fled to Egypt for a term until Herod died. You may also remember we had that charming and insightful James Taylor song where he paraphrases the last verse of this passage and says that they went home by another way. And in that song, he admonishes us to steer clear of royal welcomes, avoid a big to-do, because a king who would slaughter the innocents will not cut a deal for you. He really, really wants your presence. He'll comb your camel's fur till his boys announce they found trace amounts of your frankincense, gold, and myrrh. Best to go home by another way, home by another way. King Herod's always out there. He's got your card on file. It's a lead pipe cinch. If you give an inch, King Herod will take a mile. Best to go home by another way. This year, I'd like to talk a little bit more about what it means for us individually to follow a star and consequently what it means for us to go home by another road or home by another way. My guess is that all of us have stars that we have followed at some point or another, either currently in the past or we're about to. Some sort of ambition or passion that just has seized hold of our hearts. It might be your vocation. It might be a hobby. It might be your family. All of us know what those stars have been that lead us in some sort of direction. As I like to repeat, the theologian Paul Tillich often called this our ultimate concern. What is the thing that most draws us, that is always in our mind, we're always thinking about, and shapes how we live our lives? I often think, on major holidays and every Sunday morning, what is the star that brought you in this place? You have many other things you could be doing with your time on Sunday morning lying in bed and reading the paper, or listening to the radio, for instance, or watching cartoons. But you came here to be in this place. And I always wonder, if someone were to ask you, why do you go to that church on Sunday mornings or the major holidays, what you would say the star is that led you here? It's an interesting question to ask and re-ask ourselves. In the blog this week, I wrote to you that I have, over the past two years, come to rely on the global positioning system known as Waze. It's an app that you put on your phone. And I found, after 30 years of driving and biking around eastern Massachusetts, that it's taught me new things I didn't know about how to get home just three miles away in a traffic jam, routes through Cambridgeport and Brighton that I never knew existed. It's become a close friend, this Waze app, and it tells you when there are potholes up ahead or people stopped on the road or police or a traffic jam. It's almost like you're following God on your app. Now, you may know that the way it works, it's a sort of form of cyber communication in which you and other Waze users are in communication with one another, sometimes unbeknownst to you, and that's how you find your way. It is a special navigational system. I also said I used to be wary of GPS devices because I thought they gave us a route, but they lost our sense of direction. We're just following what it tells us to do without really knowing whether we're going north, south, east, or west. And yet, one of the features I like about Waze, just like Google Maps, you can back out and see where you are 
in the context of everything going on around you. I often wonder what happened to these wise ones when they left the scene in Bethlehem, when they went back home by another route. How did their own internal global positioning system get recalibrated? I like to think that they then looked for ways they might take the solemn stillness, the holy wonder of that time in the stable with that holy family back home with them. That they might look for new ways to find this sweetness around them or to infuse their lives with more holiness. I wonder if one or some of them worked with small children holding babies more often and playing with little ones just to watch the wonder of life unfold in these new people. Or I wonder if another of them began helping people more, people who might have been harmed by others, orphans and widows, the sick and wounded, or those whose spirits had been broken by some particular kind of trauma. I wonder if some of them began to study the stars more often, wondering at this cosmos that we happen to be a part of, in which we are so infinitely small. And not only sharing their wonder, looking at their wonder through the telescope, but sharing and teaching about that wonder to other people. Or I wonder if still others of them began looking for places in their own lives where the star might be shining, but they just hadn't noticed it before, where small miracles were happening around them. And I wonder if we look at this story as a sort of meta-metaphor for ourselves, what it means for you and me to go home by another way, to go back to our own country by another road. You see, I believe in each of us there is a kind of spiritual home. It is a combination of the way our DNA has come together, our brains and our hearts, our minds, our thoughts, our opinions, the things we're good at, the things we're not good at, this whole combination that has come together molecularly in you and me to be free-living human beings roaming this earth. And in us, there is something that has knit together. In the Hebrew scriptures, they called it nefesh, the sort of center of your being, the essence, your heart of who you are. We in the Christian tradition have tended to call it our soul, that place that many of us believe lives on after our earthly body dies away. In modern times, we've called it the psyche, or even the gestalt, the way that we all come together in unique ways and are affected and in turn affect others. Theologically, we say it's how God made us. And you can take this spiritual home with you wherever you go. In fact, you can't avoid it, whether you're conscious of it or not. You can take it with you to yoga class or to the university or to existential nihilism. You can take it to the far reaches of the earth or into a new job or a new passion, wherever that star is leading you. But at the end of the day, this precious home that you have is the only thing you have. It is the only thing you'll be left with when you come to go on from this earthly life. My question to you is, if we take seriously that we've had an encounter or a re-encounter with the Christ child at Christmas, no matter how tentative that connection might be, the question I want to ask is, how does it change us? 
How does it shape our lives? How does it make anything different in all that we do in the rest of our lives? Because once we spiritually follow that star to Bethlehem and behold the Christ child, how can we go home by the same way? We've been discussing this on our staff and what this might mean programmatically for us in the months going forward. And I've turned to one of my colleagues who's done a lot of good work in churches and helping them grow and be dynamic. And she says, if people choose to go to church in this day and age, if they follow that star into the sanctuary, it's not for lack of other social options. If all they want is friends and activities, apps like Meetup can deliver that more specifically and efficiently than a church can. Which is not to say that our fellowship and our friendship in a place like this is not tremendously important. In fact, it's very important for the reasons we come together as church. But the first and most important reason we come to a place like this is spiritual formation. Spiritual formation is about our relationship to God. It's about learning what it means to be a follower of Jesus, at least in a Christian church, It means about learning how we deal with anxiety or worry or vocational questions or money or sex or relationships or parenting or any of the things that it means to be a human being. It is, in fact, giving people the right equipment, the right shoes, the right backpack, the right gear, and the right compass to be able to navigate this life. And so this coming Lent, which starts two weeks from today... We are going to give all of you a spiritual challenge. We are going to invite all of us to create our own faith statements. This is something our confirmation classes do every other year in this place. They spend a year, several months, talking about all the different issues of the Christian faith. Confirmation is that time when usually our 14, 15, and 16-year-olds decide for themselves how they want to live into the promise of their own baptism, of being a part of the Christian community. And then they decide whether to come up here and to confirm that or not, as we saw this last confirmation series. So our challenge to the whole congregation is going to be to come up with your own faith statement because whether you articulate it or not, you have one. All of us have one, regardless of what we believe. It can be a set of beliefs that we live by about how we think the world works. It's also a worldview of how we navigate and how we see our place in society around us. It is all those things and more. So what we plan to do in Lent is to give you some take-home questionnaires that you can work on this yourself. We're also going to have, with the help of our adult deepening team, we are going to consult with them in the coming weeks about how we might have this in courses that are facilitated over the Lenten season. And then our big hope is that on Easter Sunday, we will read aloud any faith statements that people are brave enough to share. I would even like to pin them up and put them around the sanctuary to give us a sense of the theological and faith diversity we have in our midst and to show that we are all spiritual seekers trying to figure out what star, what compass, and what gifts we come to bear. My prayer is that you will start thinking about this over the next eight weeks and what it might mean for you. You can keep it as private as you want or as public as you're willing But it's a great exercise for us to do together. What I love about a place like this is we allow for a lot of diversity of thought and belief. And I'm hoping we can explore that together 
that perhaps even like the way that the Waze app works, we will help one another find our way in the world. I leave you with a prayer. It's a poem I found by a man named Andrew King. It goes like this. Not every journey toward the Christ starts like the Magi's in darkness. But there might come a time when, in the empty hours of an otherwise unremarkable night, you've happened to look up at the usual sky and noticed almost by accident, between the passages of gray beasts of slow-moving clouds, you will notice the bright bloom of a strange star flowering. And something, something begins to open a little somewhere beneath your skin. And if that new wedge of light in the sky had inserted itself into your soul, not enough to cause you any hurt, but just enough that you feel a a pang or a twinge of something like longing, as if your eyes in the silence had become ears in the darkness, and you are hearing some sort of holy summons, distant but ringing like a silver trumpet in the chambers of your listening heart, And you gaze at that star where it stands in the sky, dropping dust on the night horizon. And you think it might be signaling a holy presence in the world. And a road you can take to meet it. And that such a road, lit with such promise, might lead to a great adventure. Where life becomes challenged and changed and as new as the sky above a better world. And so you pack. And you leave on this journey, this journey where Christ is not only waiting, but walking your road at your side. And you follow that light. And it closes the distance. And it reaches deep within you. And you are changed once again forevermore. Amen.